a numbers game. And, and, and I think people think it's just about the numbers. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It's about matching people who have the characteristics, qualifications, skills needed for that particular board. And then you've got to include them. Every voice has to have uh, a time to be able to speak. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod County. I'm your host, Kyle Grantham. And today we're going to be talking to Cynthia Primo Martin. Cynthia has been a leader in the corporate and nonprofit leadership space. She's been working tirelessly for decades to diversify both corporate and nonprofit leadership. And she has a new book called The Handbook for Nonprofit Leadership Recruiting, Training, and Engaging Trustees of Color. Now, as someone who spent seven years on a national nonprofit board and has served for the last year on a local nonprofit board, I can tell you this is, this is a challenge. It's a challenge because just like we see in a lot of industries, a lot of spaces are dominated by and have been dominated by the same people for a long time. And it's really hard to get that mentality and that mindset to change, to expand and to bring in varying viewpoints from different groups that you may not normally spend your time with. So Cynthia's work is incredibly important. More voices and more diverse voices always make our, our leadership decisions better. We are really fortunate to have a very diverse leadership group here in the county, and I think that it easily makes it one of the best places that I've ever worked. And certainly, Cynthia's work in the corporate and nonprofit space is trying to achieve that same goal of bringing diverse opinions and diverse life experiences into the nonprofit and corporate leadership arena. Now, this is the second of two episodes that we actually recorded a few weeks ago, and then we lost in the middle of editing when one of our computers crashed. So it's taken us a couple weeks to get it back together, but we are finally back on track and getting this episode out. I will also warn you that in this episode, much like in our interview with Nicole Majeski, my voice is completely shot. Where with Nicole, I was interviewing her uh, having just been at a Ravens game the day before and had no voice. In this one, I was getting over a sore throat and completely had lost my voice. So I've only got about 10 or 15 minutes of, of talking ability in this interview. But thankfully, County Executive Matt Meyer again agreed to step in and help us with the interview. And he does a great job. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this discussion with Cynthia Primo Martin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Pod County. I'm your host, Kyle Grantham, and we are joined today again by County Executive Matt Meyer and our guest today, Cynthia Primo Martin, who has written a phenomenal handbook for nonprofit leadership, particularly on recruiting, training, and engaging trustees of color, which is an issue I think a lot of nonprofits uh, need to pay attention to as someone who spent seven years on the board of a national nonprofit. It was a major focus of, of my time. I actually wrote our diversity resolution to help diversify our board. I actually want to get your opinion on how we did that as we, as we get in, because um, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. But Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Joy to be here and to be here with Matt. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So I guess first off, just kind of walk us through like your career and how you got to the book. 
Okay, I'll try to be succinct, yes. and I'm not always. But I was born in Rochester, New York, to an Episcopal minister and uh, a wife. And I have two brothers and sisters. And it, it, interestingly enough, I ended up living in the suburbs and going to really all-white schools. As a matter of fact, I was the only person of color at, at my high school. So I had some, some experience in, in, in doing this years and years ago. And then I, uh, my, my father took a church in Delaware. I came here, went to the University of Delaware, got my bachelor's and my master's, and I moved back to Connecticut and was a, I worked for an insurance company, that end of the, of the uh, spectrum, and decided I really want to go back to the nonprofit roots that, that I really honor and, my, and the kinds of things that my, my, my parents instilled in me. And so um, when I moved back to Delaware, I started working for a couple of nonprofit agencies and eventually got into fundraising uh, and marketing for nonprofits and uh, retired fairly early and thought I was going to sail off into the sunset. And what happened is I two things. I got married again, my current husband, Josh Martin, and people started asking me to be on boards. And I got very interested in the lack of diversity on those boards. So I... That's my way of saying that's where I've come at this point, and uh, and I started Trustees of Color to try to help with this process. I think that was an expertly succinct summary. Oh, thank you <laughs> of of your illustrious life. So you know, as you're saying, kind of going to a, like a white school in in Rochester, you know, and then I it, I don't want to stereotype anything, but it, it also kind of felt like you, you probably worked in some industries that were not as diverse as well. It was that something that you just kind of saw as a constant theme. Like when did it? become a, an issue that you wanted to focus on primarily uh, diversifying boards? Like, wh- Was there a moment that it clicked, or is it just kind of a buildup? Yeah, what I didn't say before was, because I was a black Episcopalian, our church was all black. So I was in two different environments. I went to school and lived in a neighborhood of all white, and then I would be with all black people and in my church. And, and, and so I was used to being in two different environments and different cultures. I think when it really hit me was when I became an officer, the first black woman officer at Phoenix Mutual Life Insurance Company in Hartford. And my job was equal employment opportunity and affirmative action. And I said, you know what? I maybe can help do something about this. And and it's not just providing the opportunity, but it's the intentional behavior that and behavior change that needs to happen in order for us to become an inclusive area, a nation, world, all of that. So I think that's what really piqued my interest at that point, and, and, and I started to work more in, in ensuring diversity, inclusion, and equity. Uh, yeah, and obviously, I mean, you had a very unique perspective mm-hmm. on that. I mean, not just from, you know, the fact that you've grown up as a, as a person of color and lived as a person of color, but having that experience being in kind of two worlds, you know, when you're, when you're in the church and you're how do I want to say this and not sound stupid? But you're, you, there's a lack of diversity in, in one sense, but it's your own community. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you're in another world where there's a lack of diversity and it's exclusive to your community. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that certainly is a valuable life asset to bring into that kind of leadership role. Mm-hmm. And hopefully uh, the, the other officers that you were working with could recognize that and give you that space. Uh, did you run in, did you find resistance as you were trying to bring these ideas into the workplace in this time? Oh, absolutely. Um, Matter of fact, I ended up having to hire a diversity consultant to to work with 
this organization, this co this company, and there was a lot of awareness training, and mm -hmm. we don't talk about that as much. We talk about sensitivity and other things, and cultural competence, we talk a lot about that. But there was a lot of work to be done, and we had to train from the top down, so I ended up reporting to the president of, a, of the insurance company for quite a while to get this implemented so that there was clear that it was a top-down initiative and then not that the grassroots had to be responsible for it. And this is what, what time period are we in right now? That would be back in the 70s. Wow. <laughs> I know, way before you were born, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I won't, I won't say way, but <laughs> more than a few years before I was born. This is when the 70s so, I mean, and but, 80s. But this is important, right? Because we're talking about these same issues now in 2021. We've been talking Absolutely. about it for, for longer than 2021. It's been several years of discussion. But it's in the forefront again. And you're working in the 70s on the exact same issues where has the change been over 50 years, right? Like, why have we not as a society caught up more on some of these issues? Because not everybody has realized the issue, that has recognized the issue. And we talk a lot now about white privilege and other issues. And if you're in the majority, it's hard to to see what else is going on. If you don't know other cultures and so on, you, you can read about things, but you're not always sure of how it impacts you specifically. And I think even my father, who was, ended up being an Episcopal bishop, he was doing this in the 50s and 60s and trying to get the Episcopal church to get to be more diverse and, and inclusive. And he had many, many, many um, uh, examples of blatant discrimination against him. And you would have thought over 20 years <laughs> that, that things would have changed. But I think it's just that until it becomes, um, and one of my, my uh, nonprofit CEOs told me once uh, and said, until it becomes an emotional or personal and you witness this in your life every day or, or at least on a regular basis, it's kind of this issue is out here but it's not really close to you until you experience. And I guess a lot of these days with blended families and so on, they're, they're seeing more of that. But it's been hard to, to, for people to re recognize that indeed they could have some biases and that they may impact how they work with others. And, and if, if, you, if, you, if you don't recognize it and talk about it and do something about it, then it won't change. Sure. Sure. I, you know what? I think, too, you can look back in hindsight and say, like, hey, how have we not figured this out yet? And how are we still dealing with the same things? You know, on, on the board I, that I've spent uh, a lot of time on, the National Press Photographers Association, you know, we elected in 2017, I want to say it was, a, a new president. Maybe it was, it was earlier than that. It might have been 2016. A new president, uh, Melissa Little, who's the first homosexual president we'd, mm -hmm. we'd ever had. She made diversity a major part of her mm -hmm. initiative. And realistically, it was kind of a thing that this organization, as a lot of journalism for decades was, was dominated by older white men. Mm -hmm. The board, was, she, we went, when we relocated our headquarters at the University of Georgia from uh, Durham, North Carolina, we were unloading all these boxes of old photos of boards. And it was every board photo we looked at was a group of old white men. I mean, white men in their 70s. Mm -hmm. Not a woman among them not a person of color among them, and it really didn't start changing until like the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. That was so, an organization that was founded in 1946 mm -hmm. went all the way until a new millennium before it started to diversify at all. Mm -hmm. And even then we were in, you know, 20, the 20 teens 
before uh, we had a, a woman of a different sexual orientation. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and under her leadership, we hired our first executive director of color. I was um, proud to be a part of that hiring team that, that identified and hired her. And uh, we made a focus of, you know, we're going to try to recruit more uh, board members of different backgrounds, sexual, mm-hmm. sexual orientation, races, career experience, too. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing. We were, you know, we're an organization that represented broadcast photographers and online journalists and educators and, and still photographers. But we were 80% of the board still photographers, right? Mm-hmm. So, so even industry job specifically, we were segregating mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then coming into, you know, 2020, there was a big, I think, another racial reckoning in mm-hmm. this country. Uh, mm-hmm. We tried specifically to focus on a number of initiatives that that did that. So, you know, I've definitely seen it mm-hmm. from the inside. Mm-hmm. I've seen the resistance to it, the pushback from membership. Mm-hmm. One issue that we always ran into as a membership-based nonprofit is that our board was elected. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, if you've got a membership that is overwhelmingly white and mm-hmm. older and male, candidates, we're going to reflect it. And so our kind of solution was kind of a Rooney rule taken from the NFL where the if if people didn't self-nominate, if we didn't have, I guess, underrepresented groups, individuals from those groups nominating themselves, that it was the board's responsibility to go out and recruit someone to run and give membership that option to make sure that there was someone represented and so it wasn't just a group of white faces all the time. Mm-hmm. So that was how we approached it. I'm curious what your experience has been from a number of nonprofits and different structures and different ways boards are formed, what are some of the solutions that you've seen in your experience to, to kind of address the issues? Well, first, let me thank you for your work. I, 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 look, it was a team effort. I'm happy to have worked on some of those projects and led them, but I very much want to you know, put it out there. It was not me by myself. There was a team of, of great people working with me on it. Well, that's the, only, that's the way things work. <laughs> that's the way things work. I would say, and first of all, I want to, if I can just say the difference between diversity and inclusion. Sure. Can I just, just talk about that a little bit? And, and I think I've come to, the definitions have changed over the years, and diversity has become a term which includes everything. And, uh, and, and so we really need to talk about inclusion and equity as we go forward. But it's intentional. There's no doubt there's an intentional behavior, action. Diversity, we, I call it a fact of life. Mm. You know, we all, ha- we all are different. In some way, whether we're black, white, thin, heavy, whatever, uh, from from uh, Southern Delaware or Northern Delaware, we all have our uh, a friend called unique toolkits. We all have toolkits, and we're born with those, and we do the best we can with our toolkits. I see inclusion as more of the intentional. It's got to have impact. You've got to do something to get there, and it it takes planning. And work. You just can't say, oh, I'm going to go out tomorrow and be inclusive. You've got to do what you're talking about. It's, you've got to come up with creative solutions to ensure that inclusivity. And I think with, with a lot of boards I've seen, and again, I've, I've seen a lot of those bulletin boards with all white males over 70. I've seen exactly. <laughs> these are the pictures. Of who, this was the CEO of this one. This was the board chair of this one, and so on and so forth. And I think what people are trying to do differently now, uh, some organizations, some aren't going to change what they're doing for a while, but some are, are making sure that they include people on their nominating. Matter of fact, it's not even nominating anymore. It's board development. Mm. And they understand that it takes time to come up with candidates of, of color or diverse candidates, so to speak, and that you can't 
Uh, an example is, uh, I used to remember people saying to me, well, it's May, and I've got to have a, a board member of color by, in June for the, for the meeting. Yeah, that's not, that's <laughs> not how you want to approach that problem. No, no. I, you, would you expect me to invent, I mean, and come up with something? There, there's a lot of reasons why people of color don't even know about being board members, and there has to be a lot of education, and there has to be work, so it's going to take more than a year of planning. So get your board development committee together, make sure it's a diverse group, and you also include clients of your organizations. And a lot of times people say, oh, I only want to have only the, uh, the DuPont uh, senior vice president of something, and that's nice. And we talk about people having you know, access to money, the company and personal money, but it has to be inclusive of the people you serve as well. And I think that's one of the difference. And you can get some of your diversity through your clients. That's another way people have done it. Some, some companies have just said, I'm going to have a special nominating committee just to work on getting enough candidates. It doesn't have to be the entire board development committee, but it's a group that is representative of the, of the community. And it works all through the year to, to, to try to unearth the, the uh, candidates that, that are there. So in terms of recruiting, and I, as I say to all people too, everybody in that board has to be networking all the time. Mm. It's not, again, uh, uh, well, ne next week, uh, maybe I'll meet with X, Y, and Z. It's like wherever you go, you've got to be marketing, promoting your board to begin with, but you also have to be promoting that we want diversity. We want different kinds of people. And when you meet them, then you need to you talk to them. You, you, you just can't stand back. You need to meet them yourself. So I said it's every board member's responsibility. That was a long answer. I'm sorry. No, that's, I think that's perfect. And, and I, I mean, the value in it at the end of the day you know, I think a lot of people write it off as like, well, this is where society is now and we just have to do this to check boxes. But bringing different perspectives and different life experiences that you just can't experience because it's not your community. It's, mm -hmm. not, it's not what you've lived through. Mm -hmm. Having that breadth in a room mm -hmm. of people sharing ideas and trying to advance towards the same goal mm -hmm. is phenomenal. I mean, as we diversified as a board, the, the ideas and things that I never conceived as issues in our industry where that we're supposed to be advocating for, uh, it, we got better. I mean, we got mm -hmm. better at, at mm -hmm. knowing things that we didn't know we didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is invaluable to any leadership group. Um, and it's so important. Could I just do a quote for Board Source? Yes. Uh, let's give your voice a, a chance there. Um, board, board Source is an organization, it's an eminent organization that's a, a great resource to nonprofit organizations. And I, and I like their quote, and I want to make sure that I get it in, and, and this is a quote. A board that is homogeneous in any way risks having blind spots created by a lack of racial and ethnic and other diversity, and particularly concerning as they may result in strategies and plans that ineffectively address societal challenges and inequities or even reinforce them. And to me, that says it all. It does. Um, that shows you what, you've mi what, what could be missed and strategies and, and uh, re resolving issues and could be for decades. I mean, this, this impact can be for decades. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't know what you don't know that you yeah. don't know. Right. Absolutely. For sure. Well, as, as my voice goes out, and I apologize to anyone having to listen to it, <laughs> I am, I'm going to turn it over to Matt. I, this, this happened to me in the last podcast, but at least that was because I went to a Ravens game. This time I'm getting over it. <laughs> Matt, you want, you want to take it away here? Thanks, Kyle, for the handoff. Appreciate it. It's good to be here. Cynthia, the book is called Handbook for Nonprofit Leadership, Recruiting 
training and engaging trustees of color. Where do I pick up my copy? How do I get how do I get it? Is there a website or something I can go to? Yes. www.cedartreebooks.com. Cedartreebooks.com. That means you got a publisher. I've got a publisher. You didn't have to do it yourself. <laughs> no. I said I'm ne it's never going to work if I have to do it myself. So, <laughs> so you've been a trustee. You're on the board of University of Delaware, Delaware Community Foundation, Delaware Symphony Association, African American Endowment Fund at the Delaware Community Foundation, the Brandywine Chapter of the Association of Fundraising Professionals, St. Andrews School, United Way of Delaware, and the Watterson Family Foundation. That's quite a bit. I imagine there are probably quite a few on there, too, that you didn't mention. Absolutely. You started the Trustees of Color Initiative mm -hmm. here in Delaware. Mm -hmm. When did you start that? It was after I retired um, from nonprofit work in Delaware. I um, actually was a, a director of development and marketing for a local nonprofit. And uh, when I retired, and they started to ask me to be on the boards, and my husband and about three of, three of us, there were about five of us who, who were of color who were asked to serve on every board in Delaware. Mm -hmm. And we finally said, there's got to be untapped talent out here. There's got to be more, more people out here. And again, my husband and I said, okay, well, we'll go and identify these, help identify these people. And we started it, but then we needed, realized we needed a team. So I set up an organization. To, to help recruit, identify, recruit, train, and refer people to positions. And that was, that's been a life work since 2000. Since 2000, so about 20 years, 21 years. Mm -hmm. How has the recruitment changed in the past 20 years, or has it changed at all? It's interesting. With uh, I, trusts of color place more than 500 people. Wow. Okay, so we... So more than 500 people of color serving on boards or, or trust as trustees across our state. Yes. That's a tremendous yes. asset for our state. We have a couple in Pennsylvania, too. So <laughs> I'll That's them, allowed. I'll add them in so we can be neighborly. But uh, <laughs> I think even having said that, the percentages overall nationally for people of color, women, are not changing. And, and, and one of the issues is that people... Talk about that they do, they get the board matrices together and they get their who they want to have on the board and they want to have people of color. Another thing I always talk about is the 30% rule. Don't just take one person. You need to take more than, right. more than one. Critical mass. Critical yeah. mass, yeah. And I think when they uh, people get on the board uh, or commission or committee and then they're not communicated to, they're not included, and so, so they drop off. Right. So you end up getting quite a drop-off level. I've been on board, Cynthia, where, where I don't know how to say this in a PC way, but I feel like the board uses the person of color to enhance their diversity, and that's it. When there are discussions about the budget or critical issues involving nonprofit or the for-profit company, the person of color is not really a part of the conversation. But when diversity comes up, that everyone looks at that individual or individuals and say, okay, it's your turn. Yeah, I have another quote. It's, uh, I, I don't know if I can find it now, but it's But it's diversity is not, it's a numbers game. And, and, and I think people think it's just about the numbers. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It's about matching people who have the ca characteristics, qualifications, skills needed for that particular board. And then you've got to include them. Every voice has to have 
uh, a, a time to be able to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, what they say, the uh, voices at the table. Yeah. And I think you're right that they they say that, okay, I, I'm representative. Now look who I have. I have one, and I have one lawyer, and I want a color, and I have one this. But the issue is until you really bring people in mm -hmm. and you get do buddy systems, you do whatever you have to do to include them, then it's of no value. You touch in the book, as you mentioned earlier, diversity and inclusivity and distinguishing the two. You also talk a little bit about anti-racism and the recent movement, Ibram Kendi. You quote uh, Mr. Kendi about anti-racism. How do you think that plays into there being trustees uh, of color, anti-racism, as opposed to or as compared to just diversity or inclusivity? Well, I think that whole issue of you've got to treat people the same way. It's got to be equitable. And if you don't take what Kendi said into account, that that if you're you're against um, and you haven't experienced all that there is to know about any culture, then you are you're tending to impede the progress of all. That it's about. If you're, you're if you if you're about one culture, then and you learn it and know it, and then you're able to understand other cultures as well. Yeah, so. I like to think diversity and inclusivity is about getting the right people around the table, yeah. and anti-racism is about the attitudes and actions of every person around that table. Yeah, 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 and, and that that that's a tough one to get people to change what they've lived sure. with and what yeah. they've 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 grown up with, and and how to change what, uh, and that's, again, the networking and learning more about cultures. That's what has to happen. Yeah, I, uh, I had a close friend. I was in Teach for America, a program teaching okay. in Washington, D.C. years ago, and I would bring a good friend of mine, Bernard Guzman, a black Latino from, from New Orleans, home with me to, for Thanksgiving to the extended family, and I had a great aunt who would always come up to me and say, hey, Matt, have you saved the inner city yet? Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was, you know, so uncomfortable, just that attitude. It's my own family. And I think a lot of us face that, of all different races, colors, creeds, nationalities, mm -hmm. where you, you recognize over time some of the biases that you had growing up and how to face those and be honest about those. Yeah, and that, that's what's, what's so important. Uh, and I think when I was talking earlier about the CEO saying if you don't have an emotional connection, what I've always learned is you, know, you, you, you deal with attitudes the best you can but it's about the behavior. Yeah. You may feel a certain way and, I, and, and, uh, and so on, but it's your behavior that makes the difference. Mm. You keep your, you, you, what, whatever your biases are to yourself and it doesn't impact me. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to change your attitude. I do want to change how you feel and how you act going forward, but it's, it's most important to change your behavior and, and, and be, be legitimate and real about it. When did you start writing this book? Well, I started writing a long time ago because there's so many vignettes in there. They're, they're actual things that have happened to, mm -hmm. p to people and friends of mine, to me, um, way at the very beginning. I don't have as much of a problem that now. I've gotten more well-known. But um, I, I started and I kept writing all these little things down and little pieces, and it was the pandemic. Um, I was forced to be inside for, for mo most of the pandemic, and, and, and I was in Hilton Head. Matter of fact, we were, we were stranded in Hilton Head. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't, worse that sound, it doesn't sound very bad, but I was stranded in Hilton Head. And I said, you know, if I'm going to ever write it, I've got to finish it now. So I spent months doing that and uh, with, with the help of a number of friends uh, who would look at some quotes and chapters and say, hey, do you, do you want to say this? Do you want to say that? So that, that's when it finally, finally came. You touch a little bit on the world we can make post-COVID-19. How do you feel like 
COVID-19, the global pandemic and its impact on our communities impacted some of the words in this book? Well, I think with, with, with people not being able to get together in person, it, 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 it limits the kinds of choices you have to expand your networks mm-hmm. and so on. And the Zoom hasn't, uh, it has so many great positive characteristics, but it's also kept people apart. And I think unless you're one-on-one with someone and you, you really get to experience their, his or her life, that it's hard to, 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 uh, to, to change what your biases may have been. And I think people have been concentrating on just staying alive yeah. and things like that. And so when we start talking, yeah, well, we have to make sure you understand uh, the, 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 how to relate to this particular culture and so on. I think it's, it's not been at the top of people's lists. Mm-hmm. And it's going to get back to where I think we're, we're doing our best. And certainly with all of what happened with the racial incidents and all that, that mm-hmm. there was a lot of awareness around that. So I think through the pandemic and then combi- uh, combined with George Floyd and all of these, these incidents that happened, that did raise awareness in mm-hmm. a way. But it also raised some biases, and mm-hmm. some, and and it, and it's it's although it brought some people together, it, it it drove apart not only our political, you know, our situation, all that. There, there were kind of pulls and tugs at this whole thing. Yeah. So I think um, we've got some work to do to kind of get back uh, on the task. Do you think things are changing at all? Yeah, I do. I do. I think we, as I said before, we you look at the blended societies, and you you look at young people. There's still areas where it's just going to be one race or one culture, and, and, and they stay together and and, and prefer to be together. But we have so many interracial marriages, and 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 we're 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 really uh, younger people are are hanging around with lots of friends. Yeah. You know, the, you, you notice. I look at my granddaughter, and I see she's got a a wealth of, of, of cultures she's uh, involved yeah. with. And my hope is that that's going to make the change. It's going to have to come with them. Good. And we also have many, many, many more diverse, inclusive, anti-racist boards than we had decades ago, in, in large part due to your work. I can say as someone who had federal resources and was out there trying to fight COVID-19 every day, we leaned heavily on nonprofit organizations. And fortunately, so many of them had diverse, inclusive, anti-racist boards. Not maybe not no, perfect. Well, I'm not sure we're there not yet. perfect, <laughs> yeah. but many of them certainly more compared to better compared to decades ago, which yeah. enabled us to when we had, for example, testing numbers that showed the positivity among Latinos in our community right here in Newcastle mm-hmm. County was nine times what it was Caucasian whites in our community, six times what it was African Americans. We had quality organizations, diverse organizations we could go to that specifically could address health in Latino communities. And I know part of that is due to your work. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. And I I guess with the last census, it said that uh, 58.7% people um, uh, uh, call themselves white. And that means there are 41.3% that are people of color, and that's really untapped talent. And, and thank you for doing what you do so, in the county. So if I'm interested, I'm listening, and I'm interested in getting involved. I know there's a lot of talent out there in our communities of color here in Delaware and in the greater mm-hmm. Philadelphia region. I'm listening to you talk. I read your book. What can I do to get more involved? 
Well, it starts locally. I mean, I tell people, uh, if you happen to live in all white neighborhoods or all black neighborhoods or all Latino, you need to get outside whenever you can, your neighborhood, and learn what else is going around in the world. I think that you, if you see a people who, with some leadership uh, training, and boards do that. I think one of the things that people, people don't realize is that, that, that the boards are career enhancers. And if you, people get to know you and know your skills, this is the way for you to move up the ladder at your, your company, but move up in your community. But I think you've got to be, as I said, you've got to be on top of this all the time. And you have to speak up for people. And if you see someone saying, or if you hear someone saying something they shouldn't be saying, you're going to have to dress it with your friend yeah. or your family or whatever. And I think that scares people a lot. Um, and you're going to have to read. You're going to have to read books that deal with this and, and, and understand. I'm in a two or three book clubs, and there are people who said, you know, this never happened in my neighborhood. I, I mean, we didn't have any people. So well, I, didn't, I didn't know this ever existed. So it's a matter of, 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 of learning all you can and, and uh, making sure that people you're with understand as well. There, there are some communities across our country and here in Delaware that are not looking to live or work or play in diverse communities. They want to sort of stay okay. to their own. I think there are white communities that feel that way. I think there are black communities. I think there are Latino communities. What do you say to communities like that? Uh, I, I don't have an issue about you're wanting to have some connection to what we call your own, but you also have to make sure that if your community is all one or the other, that you do some different things and more more inclusive, some more activities, or you do something with other communities, and you you know you, you could have a, a sports team or a game or something, but there's got to be there's got to be a way that you include people sometimes in your com in community, and I think even with like schools school activities, there may be five black kids uh, in the whole school and, and the school of white, well, you got to make sure you include those five black kids. Or the other way, if there's black kids and there's only five white kids, mm -hmm. try to include them in some way, whether it's individually as, as, as uh, inviting them over your house for, for your children to, mm -hmm. to, to, uh, to study with or something. It's got to be very active mm -hmm. and, and understand the need for you know, going to, having gone to the University of Delaware and be, having been one of five mm -hmm. black people in the freshman class. You're one of five, five in the entire, entire university. No, that was a freshman class. Freshman class but in the University of Delaware. Yeah, when I went in 65. 60, so it's out of thousands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, I was only about, there were only 20 of us in the whole school wow. of, of, of the University of Delaware. Um, knowing that, and we, we, I remember the, the three or four of us used to go at the cafeteria and sit together and we had people looking staring at us and so on. We needed that time together yeah. to share. But all the rest of the time, we tried to integrate ourselves into other activities. But you were, were forced to learn to, to survive or yeah. to make it in a very white world. Yeah. And the white students there never had to learn to do that in a black or in a Latino world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why they have to make the, the effort to do it. And if you don't, we're going to be where we are now in another 40 years. Yeah. Yeah, no, I kind of learned that the hard way, in a very different way when I spent a year in Kenya trying to start a business. Yes. <laughs> that I was living in someone else's world, yeah. and I had to figure out their culture, and I had to figure out how to make it Absolutely. in their world. I, I couldn't do it my way. We're talking to Cynthia Primo Martin, author of Handbook for Nonprofit Leadership, Recruiting, Training, and Engaging Trustees of Color, now available at cedartreebooks.com, which is the great publisher. 
Uh, you started a lecture series, which you named after Bishop Primo, your father, Quentin E. Primo yeah. Lecture Series. Why did you, you could have chosen anyone. <laughs> Why did you choose dad? Well, actually, someone chose it for me. My dad was well-known nationally and internationally for uh, civil rights and social justice, worked his whole life for that. And uh, I'm giving his name, Max Bell, a member of Richards, Layton, and Finger, um, uh, which was uh, it was one of the widest firms. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you better, you better I take think that. It's, <laughs> you it was. And, 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 and mo many of the law firms are, so I'm not, right. I'm not saying it's not. But he was a firm, he, he was a firm believer in, in justice. And, and he said, you know, with your dad being gone and when he, when he died in 1998, we need something to honor him going forward that involves the whole community. And he said, how about a lecture series? And I said, okay. And how are we going to do this? He said, well, you're going to be the chair of the board. <laughs> and I said, whoa, 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 hold for a moment here. <laughs> so what happened is we came up with a 501c3 uh -huh. called Primo Lecture Series, and it only ran for five or six years, but people have told me they wish they could bring it back. It was oh, my very God. Impactful. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, yes. former Ambassador Mayor Andrew Young, yes. President Mary Robinson of Ireland. You, yeah. you brought the heavy hitters here. We, we brought the heavy hitters here. And at the very beginning, I will I, I can't say we did it all ourselves. We worked with the DuPont Company, and I worked with Chad Howell. Holiday and Stacy Mobley. These are names that people from the old remember. Yeah, can remember. Critical to be, growing our social Banks fabric. Yeah. And, and to, to do that. And, and then they were able to, to bring somebody like a Desmond Tutu. But it turned out my father had known. He, he was a friend of my father's oh, anyway. Wow. So he, he had known him. But to get that kind of support early on. And then once we were rolling, we could move ahead. And there were so many people who wanted to be involved in, in this community. And we just... The, the resources came, and a lot of work, so we stopped, but, but a lot of work, but I'm so glad that we did that, and my father would have been pleased, we yeah. know. Cynthia, thank you so much for your work. A treasure for our community. I like to say that government can't do it all. We need advocates and leaders out there actually doing things in the non-government space, nonprofits on corporate boards and things of the like, and you've been doing it for decades. We also appreciate you took the time to sit down and, and write it down. <laughs> Maybe a silver lining of this horrific pandemic is that someone like yourself had time to share some of your lessons for us, our community, and uh, the nation, and hopefully the world to see. Because it's vitally important going forward that leadership of every institution be diversified at the highest levels. And you've done that in action, and now you're helping to make it happen in the future. So thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate that. And uh, Cynthia, thank you again for, for me for, for coming in here today. I guess as we sign off, is there any, any one thing, you know, one piece of advice, closing wisdom that you could give people who are trying to find a way to diversify their board other than pick up this book, which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the first piece of advice. But if there's one kind of salient thing to always keep in mind, what would it be? It's communicate communicate, communicate. If we do not communicate with each other and, and learn about other people and don't have a connection, it won't work. I, I think that's a pretty perfect way to end it. Thank you for coming in. Thank you so much for hosting me.